challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Welcome. I'm glad you joined me today. Uh, this is going to be an interesting show. I'm not going to kid you around on that one. Not kidding around on that one. It's going to be interesting. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, who have you reached? You've reached the, well, I mean, you've reached the collision of faith and politics, but the who, uh, the who is me, the ninja pastor. That's what they call me, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. That's my nickname. The, the ninja pastor That's what they call me. Well, here we are, good lands. We are, uh, we are here. And it's good to be here. Good to be anywhere. Sometimes you're somewhere and then just a little bit later without any kind of warning at all, you're somewhere else. And uh, all of you all, let me just tell you this. I always like to let you in on things. All of you all know have been praying and many of you have been praying all, all across the, the globe have been praying for my good friends since kindergarten all the way through from kindergarten all the way through uh and we graduated high school in 1983 so that's a long time my good friend eric rickards man what a cool dude cool dude uh for seven years he has been fighting uh multiple myeloma cancer and then all the other cancers that come from the chemo and all that stuff i don't know if many of you know but uh, it is very common for someone to, uh, and by the way, chat is open. Thank you uh, for joining us in chat. Hey, Bob, how are you? It's very common for somebody to get another type of cancer from the chemo for the cancer, that the original cancer. It's just very, 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 you know, crazy, man. Trying to, trying to stay alive. Folks just trying to stay alive. You know, my buddy fought hard. He did. He fought real, real hard. Uh, Seven-year fight, multiple uh, stem cell rescues. Most of you know those as um, as bone marrow transplants. And uh, many, many, many hospitalizations. Uh, I was just with him the other day and uh, talking, chatting. He had a kind of an emergency situation. May 9th, he went back into the hospital. Very, very sick. And uh, we really thought we were going to lose him. And, and uh, they intubated him, did all that stuff. And, and then he was making a turnaround. 
And then all of a sudden, after visiting with family and friends, uh, sitting up in a chair all day long, something he hadn't done in a month, he uh, he just stopped breathing and, and passed into the next life. So I know many of you, many of you are very serious about praying for people. When I ask you to pray for so-and-so, like many of you are still praying for Chris Cahalan and the Cahalan family, they need it. They need your prayers. You really need your prayers. Don't let up. Don't ease up. My buddy Don, don't stop praying for him. He needs your prayers. Uh, but my my buddy Eric, uh, all of the questions of life have now been answered for him. You know, close his eyes. The last upon this earth, only to open them in the presence of the one that he worshipped and praised for a long, long time. It's a crazy thing, life and death. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people out there that don't have a notion of what it's like to live. And that is precisely why they have no idea what it's like to die. They don't have any clue what it's like to live. They breathe half breath. They, they, um, they don't live in any way a life that, that demonstrates in any way that they're really glad to be alive. Whole lot of complaining. I tell you what, as sick as Eric was, I don't think I ever heard the guy complain. Just an extraordinary strength, an extraordinary strength. Pretty flippin' amazing. Very high tolerance of pain. That's something he and I uh, used to talk about a lot. And um, to tell you the truth, you know, that's it, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Because when you're really, really sick, Or you're really, really hurt, and by most other standards, folks would be just flipping out. You know, they'd just be flipping out. However, you know, people that have a very high tolerance for pain, we're just like, whatever, just another day. Well, Eric had a very high tolerance for pain, uh, but you know what? I hope he has a very high tolerance for glory because that's where he is. He's on Jordan Shore, Ewa Land. The presence of Christ. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And that, my friends, is extraordinary. That, my friends, is I, I have zero fear of dying, and, and that's why, because I know I know in whom I have believed. And I know that he's able. Some folks will become uh dejected and disappointed and you know, it'll chip away from their faith because they'll say, well, God didn't heal him. What's, what's the deal with God? He didn't heal him. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Yep. He's shown up. Did. Better way than any modern medicine. And I have a lot of respect for physicians. You, you all know that I do. I'm more into the alternate medicine deal rather than the, uh, rather than the, you know, the modern stuff, but I, I have been very blessed to have MDs that understand my philosophy and, and how I go about things. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you the truth, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, there, there are many doctors, you know, I, I think this is interesting. 
there are many doctors who, um, and our guest today's wife is a doctor and uh, very aware, she's very, very aware of, of alternate medicines and, and all of that and, and very receptive to it, but many aren't. And for whatever reason, you know, they're just reluctant. Now, we'll do a whole show on it someday on, on uh, the, the medicine industry. But the fact of the matter is I've had a lot of good care and I've had really crappy care. And uh, ultimately it comes down to this, that sometimes there's nothing more they can do. And I believe that was the case with my, my great friend, Eric. Nothing more that could be done for him. We live in a poisoned world with toxins everywhere. We can't even escape the toxins. We eat like crap. Hey, David, welcome to, uh, hey, Alaska. we got Alaska listening. Welcome. Welcome, all of you. Glad to have you. What an honor. What an honor. Hey, you guys, you guys remember who David is. David is my buddy. David's the, the commercial real estate guy. And um, I've known this dude for 20-some years. I'm telling you, stand-up guy. And what I love is, is that he does, he's not, doesn't just partner with us. He's, he's shares our values. This is what he believes in. And a conservative guy, very intelligent. Um, Boston College, Boston College uh, ladies, ladies across played for the first time for the uh, national championship against Maryland, but Maryland outpaced them. But boy, I'll tell you what, they were in it to win it. They, these Boston College, well, that's where, that's where he graduated from. Don't just let anybody in there. Super smart guy. And so what he does is he handles all the leasing and sales uh, in the Harrisburg, Allentown, Metro Philly, all that stuff. And they do all kinds of things, office retail, warehouse buildings, all that stuff. And I'll tell you what, he's just awesome. So if you have a need or you think you might have a need for something, he can do stuff all over the country, but you know, this is his focus. 610-688-4300. And you just, there's another way you can get them. It's uh, through LiebermanEarly.com. L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. E-A-R-L-E-Y.com. Great guy. Super great guy. Tell you, I wouldn't say it if I didn't absolutely believe it. I wish I had a big building to buy or sell, you know, so he could help me out. So I, my very best to the family. I know uh, several people in the Rickards family listen. Uh, his Both of his sons have served. Uh, one is actually serving now in active duty. And uh, so that brings me to this. Thank you to all of the active duty folks. What a, what a privilege. I, it was my, uh, privilege to serve. And, um, I'm so fortunate. I really, really am. I'm so fortunate because I, I got to serve under president Reagan and I suspect it's going to be a lot like that with president Trump. People can laugh all they want. You know, I still have the media matters listening to me and the never Trumpers and all that. And I, I tell you, you got to let that go, man. You got to let that go. My guest and I are there. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but you just have to let it go. You just really have to let it go enough already with that. Let's get behind this man. He's got enough people uh, really trying to tear him down. And I think, uh, you know, we, we've got uh, an awful lot to deal with that. I don't think we should be messing around. Honest to goodness. Don't think we should be messing around it. Um, it's about time. It's about time that, that we just focus on saving this country. You know what I'm saying? 
It's about flipping time. Stop with all that stupid stuff. Be on our team. Be on the team of liberty and freedom. Seriously. Be on the team of liberty and freedom. It's to me, to me, it just seems stupid. Why in the world would you still fight? Guy is busting his hump. He's doing all he can do. Fighting from within and fighting from without. It's just stupid. It's just plain stupid. You all know that. Look, you're not dumb people. The people who listen to me are smart people. Really, really smart people. Now, I, I have a, a guest today that I've been wanting to come on the line for quite some time. Come on the show. He's he's a super good guy, man. Super good guy. Really serious about serving his country. Really serious about doing things the right way. He's very serious about excellence. You guys, um, you know, I'm I'm into that. That's kind of one of my things. I got to tell you, this guy, man, dedicated an awful lot of time, awful lot of time, awful lot of risk. He's a, he's a you know, he was a captain. Uh, he just recently got out of the military. He, he was uh, an army captain and, um, you know, former president, man, it feels good to say that Barack Hussein Obama and, and all his folks, they, they all seem to, they believe, they really do believe that people go into the military just to get some college or they have no other choices or just not really all that smart. Well, this guy, Captain Austin Roberts, Georgetown University, Bachelor of Arts, you know, uh, Army ROTC cadet, co-editor of the Federalist, Philodemic Society, the, the uh, debate, you know. I mean, this guy's a sharp guy. You know, Georgetown, they don't just let anybody in the fielding graduate university media psychology and an emphasis in media neuroscience come on don't hand those out you gotta earn that stuff and then you know what's he doing now we're gonna talk about that but uh where's he been what's he done couldn't do his afghanistan worked in dc at the department of state bureau of european and eurasian affairs public diplomacy been a t detachment commander in the 6th Military Information Support Battalion, Airborne. Yeah, that's right, Airborne Ranger. Yeah, they don't hand those out either. They don't just let it, they, they, look, they don't just let anybody become an Airborne Ranger. It's hard. It's a hard thing. So we're going to talk about uh, life during and life after. Let's bring them on. Hey, Mr. Dr. Sean, how are you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing hey, good. Great to talk I'm to doing you. good, brother. Hey, the pleasure is mine. The pleasure is absolutely mine. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Let me uh, let me just let me just give the audience here a little uh, little tip. Now, if, you know, we're going to talk about some stuff that maybe uh, you you kind of wish the press would talk about. Honestly, sure, you know, sure. we're going to cover some stuff. We're going to cover some stuff that you wish somebody would clarify. Somebody would just say straight out. Instead of dancing around and using a bunch of uh, politically correct language and dance around and and um, 
kind of fluff up. There's no need to fluff this up. This is the real deal. We're going to talk about real stuff, rules of engagement, mission objectives. Look, this is a guy who commanded men in very, very dangerous and delicate circumstances. By the way, uh, my prayers go out to uh, the family of the United States Navy SEAL uh, Leapfrog. One of our one of our guests that we have on fairly frequently is uh, uh, retired Navy SEAL Andy Stump, world record holder. He's going to be on again, but unfortunately, he's um, dealing with the loss of a very, very good friend. As you know, uh, Andy uh, broke four world records and set four new world records in his uh, parachuting and, and uh, skydiving and uh, wingsuit flying. And but the the guy that was yeah, killed, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Well, the guy that just got killed uh, at, during uh, Fleet Week in New York had a uh, malfunction of a chute, and and unfortunately, uh, he did die. And and it's, it's terrible. It's just a terrible, tragic thing. So he's dealing with that. Um, but it seems like you know mission objectives. It seems like back a ways. We were talking a lot about mission objectives, and we just we couldn't get to the truth. We couldn't get anything out of any of the political people. And, and, and in fairness, out of the military uh, commanders under Barack Obama, who he, he had placed in that role, just everything they said sounded like a bunch of gobbledygook. So we're going to talk about mission objectives. We're going to talk about uh, number 45, President Donald J. Trump, his uh, most recent trip. We're going to talk about the press and and the leftist conduct, and I'm sorry to be redundant. And in fact, we're going to talk about Kathy Griffin a little bit. I've got to tell you, I'm super happy to report that CNN has cut ties officially with Kathy Griffin. Um, she is losing, even as we speak, the dates on her current comedy tour. Uh, they are they are disavowing her. They are canceling her contract. Um, that's a wonderful thing, as far as I'm concerned. I you know I'm a big fan, and I guess well, you know uh, you know it's all, bad. You know it's bad, Sean, when the uh, the Church of Satan disavows you, which I guess they did on Twitter today. So, yeah, the Church of Satan disavows you. You you are lower than whale poop. <laughs> You're you have really hit the bottom, and and uh, as a result, I just have to say, you know, at some point or another, uh, we need to catch on that if they do this to us, if they do this to us, guess what? We need to turn turn that right around. We need to turn it around. We need to get after these people the way that they get after us, boycotting uh, all the different things that they do. We need we need to suck it up, Buttercup, and get in the fight. We need to get in the fight. Our rules of engagement as as citizens in this country, you know, enough already being wusses. I, I preach this all across the country when I'm. I'm when I'm invited to preach in churches and I and I stand up there and, and I tell them, uh, not every time, you know, sometimes we preach different topics, but you know, a lot of times we we explain to the to the church, listen, man, you gotta get in it to win it. We gotta stop being soft and fluffy and and buttery. You know, so you uh you chose to serve your country. Now, while you were in Georgetown University in Washington, DC, that's how a lot of people say that, Washington, Washington, DC. Uh, you decided you were going to be uh, an army officer. So tell me, tell well, me what know, in the world led yeah. to that? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I actually made that decision uh, far before uh, attending Georgetown. 
Um, you know, I was one of the, the part of the generation that, that you know vividly remembers uh, sitting there in, in class and watching 9/11 unfold in front of them. Um, and uh, for me, prior to that, um, you know, I thought about a number of different professional paths. But uh, for me, just the images that I saw that day solidified uh, what I wanted to do, and that was to to go and, and be a soldier. I was uh, I was too young at the time to enlist, and uh, talked to my dad, and you know, he said, "I'm I'm not going to sign the the waiver for you to enlist. You know, you're going to finish high school first. He said, "But you know, I'd recommend that you uh, you consider going the officer route." He said, "You've got good leadership qualities, and you're a smart kid. You know, I think that." Uh, you know, you'd be well served at one of the uh, the academies or doing ROTC or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I agree. So anyway, with you. so yeah, so yeah, so anyway, so I, I ended up um, going to to Norwich University, which is a senior military college um, in Vermont, and uh, and then did uh, did two, uh, two years there. I was playing soccer, and halfway through my sophomore year, I ended up doing a uh, a semester in Washington D.C. in my ROTC at Georgetown University. Um, Hold up, let's go back. Let's go back a second. Back. Hang on, hang on. Sure. Hang on. Let's go sure, back yeah. a second. Were you a defender in soccer? No, no, I was a striker. Get out! That was my spot. Striker and right wing, bro. Yeah. Striker and right wing. That's little yeah, guys. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, shots guys. Uh, you know, Austin's a big guy. Yeah, man. All about shots on goal. You, you miss yeah. every single shot you never take. So, well, that's awesome. Okay, so so what was that like? Yeah. What was your experience like at that college? It, it was interesting. I mean, doing being a, a full-time cadet, um, you know, and uh, and they really, when I was going through, just kind of keep it old school, you know, the, the whole um, zero privileges, shave your head, walk in the gutter, speak when spoken to, sure. um, you know, you're, you're basically going through that while you're also, um, you know, doing a, a full-time you know, college career. Um, yeah. I basically, you know, at the time did nothing but, but um, you know, be a full-time cadet and play soccer and go to class and that was it it was a it was a um a pretty spartan lifestyle you know and yeah. um so i i had a good time with that i definitely learned a lot um through that experience i think you know shaped me and made me a, a, a better and I, i'd say a different person but um you know i did uh i did a year and a half of that and um you know once i was sort of exposed to you know the rotc program at, at georgetown which is really top notch it usually comes in a top five program in the country um, you know, I thought wow. to myself, hey, I could get a, a great education here in D.C. at Georgetown and uh, and also fulfill that requirement. So I decided to uh, make the transfer there. So, yeah, and I ended up, uh, ended up rowing crew while I was there. So it was uh, an interesting transition as an athlete into that as well. So D1, D1, you, yeah. you, you rowed the heavies, man. I Don't did. S- yeah. Yeah, that was I did that for two and a half, two and a half years. Um, I ended up being a, D- a December graduate because of my transfer uh, credits. But. Yeah, no, it, it was. That's another example of, um, you know, as a great quote. You, you don't know how much, uh, how much orange juice is inside the orange until you squeeze it. Um, and yeah. I tell you what, crew is one of those sports where it's uh, it's year round, um, and uh, you're either going, you know, hard on the erg in the, in the off season, or you're just, you know, all out uh, during the actual race season. So um, it's another one yeah. of those sort of, uh, you know, career building experiences I'd encourage other people to try out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I used to love to row. I never rode. Uh, I, I used to row the concept back in my day, back in my day. I rode uh, concept two, uh the competitions the and I did the 10,000 meters. That was, that was, okay. and I liked the pain. I liked the pain. So, um, you know, I just, I just liked it. I just liked it. I, I liked the challenge. I yeah, liked to watch. The the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a certain yeah. element to uh, to be in a row, I guess. 
There is, because it involves your whole body. And I mean, all the large muscles and your back and all that. And it's just, oh, oh. so, so you, you know, put I yourself think, under. Think, yeah, sorry, but sorry about the overlap. No, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, it's coming, going through an experience like that. And, you know, and I, I ran marathons. I ran a, a 50 mile ultra marathon uh, when I was in, in college, just, um, you know, just because I, you know, had always played team sports my entire life. My idea of running was doing laps around the soccer field, uh, soccer pitch, as it were, um, and uh, just kind of having to be drudgery. But I really kind of fell in love with running um, and sort of the individuality of, of uh, crew being, you know, yeah, it's a team sport. You're all in the same boat, literally. Um, but it really is about sort of overcoming, you know, it's just a, an almost metaphysical aspect to it. There's an overcoming yourself and being able to push through whatever wall it is. Um, and overcome that pain and still be thinking clearly and, and you know, being yeah. able to push yourself. And I knew that the career that I was going into, um, you know, as an Army officer would require that, uh, that you know, that kind of stamina and drive that, that I tried to cultivate myself whenever possible in, in college. So and anybody in your audience who's listening, who's, who's kind of thinking about going that route, I'd encourage them to first, you know, test themselves as much as possible, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, um, you know, before making that decision. Well, I think it's awesome and it's good planning. And that's, you know, um, I, I certainly don't have any doubt at all that uh, you were an absolutely phenomenal army officer. And, and um, so, so within the theme of, Hey, let's bust our own butt here and let's, let's, let's carve away weakness. Let's pain out any, any softness. Um, let's, let's make the weakness leave the body. And, and in that theme, you decided that you wanted to be an army ranger. Yeah. So just a quick point of clarification. I, you know, I went through OBC uh, and, and right officer basic course as a field artillery officer. Um, and during that time I tried out, there was a, a 16 week long tryout process and a selection at the end um, that, that really whittled it down for the number of people who went. There's only about five of us from the 50 who started uh, who got a chance to go to ranger school. And so I, I went to ranger school uh, recycled twice and ended up spending 120 days there, really learning just as many lessons as I could squeeze out of that school sure. um, and, uh, and got my tab. But I, I never actually served in the regiment. I know there's some people in your audience who make that distinction for sure. Um, and I, oh, ended, up, I ended up doing a, going, going the, the RSOF route and um, into special operations um, and as a psychological operations officer. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, what they call a tabbed ranger. Um, but that was a that was an incredible experience. And um, right after that, I, I walked over uh, to the Airborne School. I was down at Fort Benning at the uh, the Benning School for Wayward Boys, and mm -hmm. um, over there on that campus. And um, I just walked over there. And this was you know I graduated in December at Ranger School. I tell you, it gets pretty damn cold in Florida. Um, yeah. And I walked over there and I said, hey, you know my my RI, my Ranger instructor said that if I I got my tab, I can just I could go to Ranger School. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, no one wants to go to Airborne School in January, so I'm sure we got a slot for you. Um, so uh, I ended up going to Airborne School right after that, and, and about a month or so later, I was in Afghanistan. Wow, wow, psyops. Yeah. What pretty, in the heck for our question. audience? What? Yeah. What are what are psyops? For yeah. The people that so, don't know. Um, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So psychological operations is part of, uh, of overall special operations in the Army, RSOF, um, along with special forces and civil affairs. Um, and essentially what that is, is, a, is to, if I were to break it down in sort of civilian terms, there is a, a marketing aspect of it. And essentially what that's doing is it's attaching, um, you know, it's, it's attaching people to policy. Um, it, is, it is both offensive um, and trying to 
um, you know, undermine and uh, and get after what the enemy is saying against us. Uh, and then it's also defensive in the sense that we are, you know, constantly evaluating, um, you know, what is being said, what is being put out there, and trying to make sure it's as clear as possible what we're doing, you know, so the enemy can't use it against us. It's just it's a small aspect of it. Um, it's a it's a broader it's a, a very broad field. Uh, we work directly with embassies in a lot of countries that we're not necessarily uh, in direct kinetic operations with. Um, and we work, you know, obviously by, with, and through uh, the embassy staff, um, you know, according to their their different authorizations. So it's hmm. um, it's a pretty it's a pretty broad field, and it's it's interesting. It's it's got you know sort of both the um, the you know the the regional side um, working out of the, an embassy and a, and a non kinetically engaged uh, country. It's not a, a war zone to um, being very much a tactical aspect, being embedded with um, you know any type of soft um, you know. Um, you know, special forces, rangers, seals. Uh, we, we work with any tier one elements. We work with with all of them directly uh, to help them out on on the battlefield, doing what they call tactical psyop, uh, which is very much you know here and now. We you know do that in places like Afghanistan and, and Iraq. Um, so yeah, so it, it, that uh, that really appealed to me because um, when I was over in Afghanistan, um, you know, I, I realized that there was such a large psychological element uh, to what we're doing and fighting an insurgency. So much of of fighting an insurgency is the, the psychological element and trying to, uh, if you're an insurgent, you know, like in Maoist theory that you're, you, the insurgent must be like the fish that swims in the sea. Um, the sea being of course the, the people that the insurgent requires to live. Um, and if you're yeah. a counterinsurgent, you're trying to dry up that sea. You're trying to drain the swamp, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so much of that is understanding the psychological uh, battlefield that you're on, and so that really that really appealed to me. It was part of my task when I was there as a, a, a part of non-lethal fires uh, when I was mm -hmm. a field artillery when I was a fire support officer in Afghanistan, um, and that's you know that's why I made that check that box in the RSOF um, you know, application packet to go into PSYOP. Yeah, it's a it's a cool um, it's a cool thing to do, and it's very needed. And I think a lot of times people don't realize what exactly has to happen behind the scenes. People, I think, make assumptions as to, you know, well, this is just what you do. You know, you fly in, you know, you jump out, you land, you shoot some people, you get back on a plane and you fly away. And there's so much more to it. And, and a lot of times people will say, the, the uninitiated, um, by the way, let me let me interrupt myself to say this. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen President Trump do, and he's done, he, the, the longer this guy's in office, the more I like him. Um, at Arlington, he was the only one up there literally singing his guts out, uh, the national anthem. He is getting ridiculed on social media, the leftist social media, the leftist uh, media elites. And the thing that, that really gets me is they say, look at him. What, what was he doing? What was he doing? Was he think he's the singer of the national anthem? Um, I have to say, I, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. I love, I love how this guy just unashamedly is America, America, mm -hmm. USA forever. Yeah, because they're gonna make those, uh, they're they're gonna make yeah they're gonna make those uh, critiques either way, regardless of what he does. So so then science. So he might as well know, just go and do it. Yeah. Exactly. Might as well go and do it. So PSYOPs, you know, when we're looking at uh, media neuroscience and we're saying, okay, I, first of all, I think this guy, I really think uh, 
this guy knows the media neuroscience better than anybody I've seen in a long time. Um, President Reagan was very, very good. This guy, man, this guy gets on and gets after it. And, and, he, and he, uh, he makes fools of them. Straight up makes fools of them. Just, yeah, just no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think he's very adept. That he's lived in, he, you know, he's lived his entire adult life um, in that public eye in that sort of environment. He under, he knows. I mean, first of all, he knows a lot of these guys firsthand. Um, who, who, by the way, never had a problem with him before he started running for president as a Republican. But uh, that's another story. But he he understands what makes him tick. He understands what drives a twenty four hour news cycle. He understands what trends on social media and, and what things he can say to. Uh, to sort of passively slight certain people and, and make their heads explode and get them sort of thrown mm -hmm. off. Um, you know, I, I think people give him less credit um, than, than really he, he should be entitled to in terms of what he's doing and, and how he does it the way he, he handles the media. Now, I mean, that, that being said, you know, I, I would like to see the rest of his team on board and, and, and really uh, synced in a little bit more. I think there's that critique that could be made of the administration, but, um, I think overall, he's he's done a fairly good job given what the cards he's been dealt in terms of, you know, how people are going to react to him either way, re regardless of what he does, there is going to be that pushback and those kind of critiques. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So this brings up, this brings up a question. You just said that you'd like to see his, his communications team kind of come on board more with what he's doing. How, how so? What do you mean? What are, what are some weaknesses? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think one of the things that was interesting that we saw the other day with uh, with Sean Spicer, um, you know, is that that guy has been getting beaten up relentlessly. Um, and naval officer, most people he, don't know. Yeah, yeah, naval reserve officer is, is currently uh, fulfilling his naval reserve um, duty, and that's why uh, his deputy deputy uh, press secretary was actually on in the stead the other day because he was fulfilling that obligation. Um, but I, I think there's been times where you know the there have been times where it has been, in my opinion, um, apparent that he's been he's been caught flat-footed in some of these instances. And the the term that you know was used during the Bush administration was uh, was peacocking, right? He he referred to these reporters who had these long wind-up questions um, that were just clearly you know trying to grandstand and um, and sort of make a name for themselves. Um, and, you know, there's been quite a bit of that, and you see it in a lot of these press conferences. Well, what was interesting about what Sean Spicer did the other day um, was that he, he very much kept it short to the point. He pushed back against them, and it seemed as though that his, his talking points um, were very much synced with what was going on. And, it, and now, apparently, they're going to be doing these things off camera. Um, so, you know, if somebody is going to be giving these sort of long-winded wind-up questions, I mean, they're not going to be necessarily captured on it. So it'll be interesting to see what the evolution of that is. Um, but, you know, I think definitely the, um, the, the Twitter feed that, um, you know, people have asked questions about in the last few days, whether or not that is going to be regulated in some way, or there's going to be some sort of, um, you know, screening process involved with that somewhere on the staff. Um, it'll be, it, it's yet to be seen as to what's going to happen with that. And um, mm. I don't know, it, it, it is as entertaining as it is sometimes to watch the president's Twitter feed. Um, and, and as, you know, as right as he's been on a number of the things that he's tweeted that have turned out to be true, um, you just want to make sure there's a communications team that, that whatever it is, whatever the, the decision is, um, you know, of course, it's the president's prerogative to make those decisions, but you want to make sure that everybody's on board.
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny is um, I have friends that are on him uh, in the uh, United States Secret Service and and they uh, first of all, they're tired all the time. They were tired anyway uh, from, you know, you protect the president and vice president of the United States. You're going to be busy. But uh, they all tell me the same thing. And it's and it's dead on. First of all, they love the guy. Second of all, they say they've never seen anybody work harder uh, and work more effectively. Like he, he's not a fan of a bunch of fluffy talk. He is a fan of show me the bottom line, show me the money, show me how it helps, show me, convince me that this is worthwhile. And uh, and I have to say I like that. I I, I like it. But I see what you're saying. I definitely see what you're saying about. The whole, you know, let's let's all get on the same page. How how do you get on the same page? Uh, because a lot of times I do notice, and, you, and you've kind of pointed this out, that sometimes his people come out in a very difficult role. You would never want to be the uh, PAO, public affairs officer, or the uh, spokes, you know, the press guy for the president. If it's if it's Donald Trump, you don't because he, he moves. He's so kinetic. Everything he does is so kinetic. Um, and, and he moves at a different pace and a different way without a lot of softening words. And so when you come in behind him, if you had no idea, you're going to say, well, you're going to have to talk to the president about that. You know, I'll refer you to him, you know, and, um, yeah. And, you so, know, so, and, and to that, into that, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and to that point, you know, I mean, it was a, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying to remember the, the exact uh, reason for it, but essentially what President Trump said was that, you know, my staff can't be expected to be, um, you know, to to be completely uh, up to speed with everything that's going on, given how fast-paced everything is. Maybe I should just cancel press conferences. Maybe we should just do a, kind of a write-in thing so we make sure the inf the correct information is getting to you guys and there's no – uh, no way to, to mince words here. Um, and, um, you know, so it, I think that you hit the nail on the head is that he is a moving target in the sense that he is just constantly going, you know, and, and tweeting and, and really, you know, sort of shifting on a whole number of different levels. And, you know, it part of, you know, part of being like a, a public, a public affairs guy, I've never done the job of a PAO, but I've definitely watched folks up close. Um, try to answer in sort of the third person because you are, you are the direct spokesperson for whoever that is, uh, whether it's the president, the secretary of state, or whoever you're the spokesperson for, um, you are you are answering questions as if you were that person. You know, you say, "Well, the president says this, this, and that," um, but yeah, it's got to be hard in an administration where there's you know there's constantly so much action um, and uh, and so much movement from the president, um, and and trying to keep up with that and still be able to speak from a place of authority that yeah, this is indeed the plan. Um, you know, when it seems to be there's a lot of stuff that's coming out very, very fast. And I think a lot of that's just experience of, of working with him and him getting the right people around him um, and, uh, and getting the processes and the systems in place for uh, making sure that there are talking points, that there are things um, in place that, uh, that is keeping these guys up to speed and, and able to, to best represent them. Now, whether that's changing the format of the, the press brief or, or not, it yet remains to be seen. Um, but they definitely need to get that process uh, wired tight, and I think that you know that that needs to be needs to be one of the top priorities. And I think that's I think that's recognized within the administration. Yeah, why do you think the left is so afraid of this guy? Why do you think they're so afraid of President Trump? 
Yeah, so I think I think there's a number of reasons why they're uh, afraid of them, I, and I think that you know really what we're seeing now, and uh, you, you know you brought up the Kathy Griffin uh, point earlier on, is just what we're seeing is is partial fear, um, but I think a lot of it is just the, the rage uh, that you're seeing from a lot of folks on the the left who just really assumed for for months months leading up to this that it was a done deal. Um, that Hillary would would come through and it would be basically a coup d'etat, and um, you know she would be the one nominating uh, the next one to three Supreme Court justices, and um, and frankly that that also the Republicans would lose uh, control of, of Congress in a sort of a down ballot landslide uh, as a result of the Trump factor that we kept hearing about uh, throughout the election. So they they basically had the, the champagne chilled um, and on ice and ready to pop, and then you know hey November rolls around and and we have a total. Uh, total 180 in the, the course of American politics. So I think that's part of it. I think that's part of what's uh, what's clouding their judgment. And I think there's also just sort of a, a um, you know, you hear the, the term Trump derangement syndrome. I think that there is a uh, just a lack of, of trust and just a willingness to believe um, basically any bad news, any kind of innuendo, anything coming out. You know, we've seen that with the the whole Russia-Trump uh, investigation and, and everything that's gone around that. I think there's just a, a general willingness to believe anything uh, that's coming out about this administration that casts it in the sort of nefarious light that they have, they've led themselves to believe that this guy is, is just a, a reincarnation of Genghis Khan, you know, and and, uh, and that's really yet to be seen in terms of policy that's come out of this administration, but yet, you know, the narrative continues to exist. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is the uh, the level of contradiction. And in my book, I talk about how conservatives, especially conservative people of faith, um, but the name of the book is Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. You might think it might be a little bit conservative and a little bit uh, controversial. Um, but in that book, I talk about how churches, leaders of churches, leaders of organizations, be they conservative organizations uh, or even just, you know, uh, public organizations that are um, they're called upon to take a stand on occasion and um, for them to do that to and, and to be firm in that. Now, an example would be I spent the morning making phone calls on behalf of uh, Kathy Griffin and on behalf of getting her fired from every single uh, endorsement. I looked up her endorsement deals and found the phone numbers to the public the equivalent of civilians, equivalent of public affairs office. Uh, and I just started calling them. I don't think I had anything to do individually with her uh, getting canned, but she is, she is literally at this moment losing almost every endorsement deal that she have, that she has. She has been banned from CNN, ADT, uh, the alarm company has pulled all of their advertisements. This being the next step, they didn't have to do that. They could have made a statement, but they chose to pull all of their advertising from CNN because of Kathy Griffin and what she did. Now, let me say this about that. You know, and I mentioned that her tour, um, it appears as though her tour um, is being stripped from her date by date by date they're just pulling all the day all the different dates and i like that that makes me that gives me a warm fuzzy inside really really does not because i'm some sort sort of say this but that's how you win when you talk about uh you know media neuroscience and beating the left 
we have for far too long, we being conservatives, we have for far too long been gentle and we've been soft and we've been weak and we, we have been all about going gently into the night, going gently and peaceably into battle instead of going to win, going to kick some rear, really getting in there and, and um, just tearing it up. Just get in there and tear it up. And when people rise up against us and they try to do stuff, you know, we've got to stop backing up all the time. You know, um, I was a competitive fighter. And and uh, one of the things, uh, I had a trainer and, and he would always say, you must learn to back up. You must learn to retreat. Retreat for better valor for another day. And, uh, you know, and I said, man, I'm not about retreating. I'm, I don't like retreating. He says, yeah, but once the word gets out there that you never back up, they can use that against you. And I said, not if they're knocked out already. And so my <laughs> philosophy is, I mean, that's my philosophy. Let's get in there and let's, let's not dance around and measure them and measure their, their jabs. We know what the left is going to do, just like we know. We know what ISIS is going to do. How about how eerily similar, I tweeted this out uh, today, how eerily similar the, the photo of Kathy Griffin holding the, uh, you know, the, the, the obvious likeness of Baron Trump's father, the president of the United States, bloodied and holding it up as it's just like ISIS does. I would submit which, oh, to by you the way, in the audience. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, which, oh, by the way, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Baron Trump. You know, it was, it was reported on Drudge earlier that, you know, he saw this as an 11-year-old child. You know, he saw this on TV. And what's he to assume? That, you know, his father's one of the most hated men in the world, and he sees this, this image on TV. He thought, of course, that, you know, something had happened to his father. And, you know, can you imagine an experience like that for any of your own children, you know, to, to see one of their parents in, in such a state on TV and think that that had happened? I, I agree. It's, it's completely unacceptable. It, it is absolutely egregious. And and I think, uh, and, I, and I mean this with my whole heart, I believe, I firmly believe that uh, not only economically, not only should she face severe economic penalty, but I do believe that um, the United States Secret Service should pay her a visit. I believe if there's any sort of uh, misdemeanor or other uh, crime I, uh, to charge her with, I believe absolutely that they should do it. I think they should set a standard because this is not, this is absolutely not about, well, I'm just a comedian. Because you'll notice in her apology, she didn't apologize to the Trump family. She didn't apologize to President Trump. She apologized to basically her audience and advertisers saying, oh, that was, it wasn't funny. Sorry for not being funny. Sorry for going too far. You see what I'm saying? I mean, at some point or another, you know, we've got to get in it to win it. We've got to stop backing off. It's just like uh, in the Iraq war, originally going into Iraq, uh, General Schwarzkopf, God rest his soul. Uh, you know, there it was. I mean, it was, we had the ultimate chance to go in. And, and of course, the other general said, who we know now, big time Obama supporter and and not really a Republican in any stretch. Um, we know now, that, you know, his objective, well, he said, hey, the American people can't handle that. They can't see us marching into Baghdad and house to house in Baghdad. Well, what are we doing now? House to house in Baghdad. And, and we could have finished this thing and made it happen, getting it over with and, and you know, next type of thing. Win big, win 
aggressively. Uh, somebody, uh, my buddy in uh, chat has brought up, uh, caning is justified in this case. And, you know, I, I don't know that I advocate that. I know that's sort of um, a, a little bit uh, a little bit tongue in cheek. But he also brings up that Al Franken is not upset with her, uh, that she um, she has every right to say and to do. And that's art. She's a comedian. Of course, he's a comedian. Not very funny one. Um, he's certainly a not very good uh, public representative of not only his constituency, constituency but, uh, but but they but my buddy Dave brings up a, an interesting thing. Anderson Cooper is mad at her now. And he's and he's angry. He's literally angry because think about let's think about this. So she goes around, you know the shtick with her, right? You you know who this girl is. She's she likes to I say, do. Yeah, I do and that's uh you know if anybody knows about the, the sort of the halo effect of you know that um you know a, a man is judged by the company he keeps, so, you know it's it's the idea that you know your you the the effect that she is going to have on his brand and his reputation because the two of them are very much linked as as being a couple I think for like the last ten years or so on on New Year's Eve two thousand and seven you know, palling around together yeah, yeah yeah so they uh, they you know so I'm I'm sure that he's gotten looking at this and and probably a little bit nervous that hey this is going to hurt my brand as well that I'd be associated with somebody like this so the halo effect works well, both ways exactly and so and let me ask you this. So why would Al Franken? Now I don't think Al Franken's very intelligent. In fact, I don't think he's intelligent at all. Uh, but why would Al Franken be the lone voice that steps out and says, "Man, wait a second now. I, I I'd be willing to go do a tour with her. You know, I I'd be willing to go." And he and he wants to meet with her and, and do some sort of show. Why why is this guy? Why is this? You know, clearly clearly this is blown up in her face and i hope it costs her every you know people say you're supposed to be a pastor oh well i've also been a warrior and i know how it is with our enemies our enemies will lick their wounds look just like and and i get a lot of heat for this media matters will probably post this and and i don't care uh but media matters will say uh you know he's supposed to be a pastor he's supposed to be a preacher but he wants to ruin people financially he wants to make them homeless. Um, look, ISIS and the left are very similar, except for once ISIS is finished using the left as a useful idiot, they're going to rape them, and then they're going to torture them, and then they're going to kill them. Going to be a lot of trips well, off of the uh, roof. Yeah. Well, to your, to your last point about, um, you know, what can conservatives do and, and sort of I think traditionally it's been that conservatives have been uh, more inclined to vote with their wallet as opposed to uh, actively boycotting people they disagree with, you know, and, and they tend to, um, you know, if there's a, a movie that they that they like that helps that, um, you know, or a person or a comedian, they, they'll stand up with them um, and, you know, and go and, and uh, buy tickets to that or, or whatever else it is, right, to support something that they believe in. They're less inclined, uh, as, you know, the left is, and you see, you know, see this a lot. Uh, sort of this cry bully routine, you know, where they go about being, you know. Oh, oh, oh hold on, 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 hold on. Go back, go back. To which part? What routine? What routine? This whole, well, you know, this whole cry bully routine, right? You know, where it's that, oh, I've been, I've been offended, so therefore I'm going to, you know, try to to ruin you personally and professionally. Um, and uh, dude, that's you know, it's, that's it's easily old. my favorite thing you've said so far. Cry bully. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's well. 
Oh, absolutely. It's both being a, being a victim, and I, I certainly didn't coin that phrase, but it's both being, a, at the same time, this, this victim, this professionally aggrieved person, um, and at the same time, you know, using it as a, as a club to bludgeon your, your political enemy. Um, and that, you know, I think that, that conservatives just in general find that to be, um, you know, sort of distasteful way of going about things. So I think they're less inclined to, to lead these big boycott type things. Um, now, I mean, th this case, I think we're kind of in uncharted territory here with, uh, with what Kathy Griffin did. And, and I think that a boycott is very much, um, you know, very much uh, in the cards for her. And I, I would encourage uh, people to, to kind of go down that route. Uh, but I think also, too, looking at, um, you know, the defense of, say, Sean Hannity that we saw over the weekend uh, with USAA uh, pulling its, uh, its endorsement of Sean Hannity. Unbelievable. Um, you know, Unbelievable. on this bandwagon. However, you yeah. know, you just, we just found out today that they're going to be reinstating uh, that after a number of people, people I know and, and, and myself, let it Me be too. known to that company, um, oh, yeah. you know, to that company that, hey, we're, we're as your members, um, you know, not in support of this. We are going to take our business elsewhere. Uh, we want you to continue your support of this person. You know, and I think that we need to just continue to stand up. I mean, the, the thing basically happened to, uh, to O'Reilly with his show. Um, obviously more complicated than the, the Hannity issue, but I think that, you know, once they smell, the left smells blood in the water, um, and, yeah. you know, advertisers just t tend to not take really terribly principled moral stances on things. They, you know, there's a, the sense that uh, the, the saying that capital is a coward. Um, you know, well, so are, are capitalists in a number of senses when they feel that, Oh no, you know my brand may be uh, maybe bogged down in this, so I better pull out, regardless of whether or not it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I think the left is getting a little bit of a taste of its own medicine with uh, with Kathy Griffith uh, on this, where people you know who had previously supported her financially, you know, are saying that hey, this is radioactive. We want to have nothing to do with it. You know, even even fellow travelers of some of these corporations that that may have agreed with her on a number of things, and you know, in her other political commentary, they see this. And it's just like, whoa, we have, we have to cut ties with this individual. They've just gone off the rails. Yeah. You know, I have to say, I have to say, I, I'm still hit with this. And I know a lot of terms, but cry bully, I love that, man. I love that. The perpetually aggrieved cry bullies. I, I'm, man, if I was ever going to get a tattoo, uh, I could never <laughs> pull one off because I'm not cool enough. But that would be one I would get. Um so okay, yeah. I, so, I, so I, let, I no mean coin that, but I, I, it definitely describes a lot of these folks on the left. Yeah, um, but I, but I want to tie something in here. I want to tie something in here that that occurred to me, and um, I will say this. I, I and this may sound strange to the audience, but I I think um, Austin, I think you'll you'll pick up on this. I have a very smart audience, and I think probably. That they will pick up on this, but it may be a little disturbing for the comparison. You've got ISIS um, on on the one side, and then you've got the left. You know the American left, but I'm but I'm not. You know what? I'm not, I'm not just going to make this about America. I don't represent the world. I love what Donald Trump said and what Ted Cruz said. Ted Cruz said, "Look, the people of Texas elected me to represent them." And in so doing, I took an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America and to the Constitution of the great state of Texas. I didn't go there to make friends. And President Trump said, look, I'm the president of America. And I'm that's how I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna roll. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of call out these other uh, nations, France, Germany, uh, UK, Greece, sadly, Italy, 
Sweden, most assuredly. Um, I don't know. There's there's probably a few more that I'm missing over there uh, that are just being overrun. Austria, another great case for uh, too passive for too long, and now they're they're being overrun. And and ISIS told us, look, we're gonna we're gonna hide among the refugees. We're gonna hide among them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to hide among them and we're going to infiltrate your country. We're going to use your money. We're going to use, you know, uh, immigration jihad. And then once we get there, we're going to use welfare jihad. And then the religious, political and military ideology, which is Islam. We're, we're going to get the numbers we need and we're going to start raping your women and your men. Little little secret there that they rape men as much as they do women. Um, then... We're going to start killing people. We're going to do big, you know, large-scale stuff, small-scale stuff, and we're going to terrorize you, and then we're going to run for office. We're going to, we're going to, you know, as soon as we can, we're going to run for office, Mayor of London. And then we're going to say, well, you just can't get away from, can't get away from terrorism. Can't get away from terrorism. It's just how it is. It's just terrorism is what it is. You can't get away from it. So they it's it's like a numbing solution. You know, before you get the shot, the dentist gives you that little numbing solution on your gum and waits a second and then kind of shakes your cheek and then boom, and it goes. You don't even notice it. You're like, wow, boy, do you give a good needle? Uh, didn't even feel that. <laughs> well, Europe didn't feel it, and we're not feeling it until it becomes... And, and Alaska has chimed in with, that sounds like Merkel. That's exactly what, exactly. I told you, I have a very smart audience. Uh, so, so here we are in this place where the left, they've kind of borrowed, ISIS has either borrowed some pages from the left or the left has borrowed some pages from ISIS or somehow or another they had a meeting and said, hey, this is what let's do. How about let's do this? How about let's do this? The problem is, the problem is, like I said before, uh, ISIS will use the left and the weak because there's many weak, there are many, many weak people on the right. Don't call me a racist. Don't call me a bigot. Don't call me a misogynist. Don't call me a xenophobe. Don't call me all this stuff because, damn gummit, that hurts my feelings, and I don't ever want to be that thing. I don't ever want it to be true. So, so you know, this is what we're going to do. We're just not going to stand up. And so the more we don't stand up, the more we don't stand up, the more we don't get tough, the more we don't say, no, no, no. You call me any name in the book. You're not going to call me weak because I won't be weak. I won't back down. So somewhere along the line, ISIS, ISIS and the left, we talk about Russian collusion, ISIS and the left are on the same side. So, and I know that this is hard for people to take, but I look at somebody, not just Kathy Griffin, um, um, I hate to say it, Katy Perry, uh, Madonna. Now, I've never been a Madonna fan. I, I don't think there's anything she's ever done that I've ever liked. She always has grossed me out, and I feel like, ooh, that's kind of weird. Um, I don't, I just don't think... Well, I don't know. There's so many. There's so many. I mean, and you you mentioned about this kind of soft boycott where 
contemporary uh, Christians and 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 conservatives will say, you know, I'm not a fan of boycotts. I'm not. A, I don't want to. I don't want to break her bank. But you know what? I'm just not going to go to that movie. Or you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait till it's in the two dollar range. Or I'm going to wait till it comes out on television or Netflix or one of the other things. That's how I'm going to win. By the way, they make more money individually off of Netflix than they do in the movie theaters. The cut is much smaller with Netflix. So they, or the, the, uh, the, the number of people that get a cut on Netflix is much smaller. So they generally get a bigger, uh, bigger bite. So, and uh, the, the, the interesting thing is we'll play soft. We'll go at it soft and we'll say, this is how we're, look, it's kind of mean. We don't be a bully. It's kind of mean to, to wish them. Now, I do wish them poverty. I wish them home, homelessness. I wish them struggle. I wish them greatest of sorrows. I wish them to go from this great, wonderful first world to the third world. And I don't care if that third world uh, is Detroit or Chicago, Southside Chicago. I don't care. I don't care. They, I don't lose a moment's sleep over how these people live. I don't. Why? Because they have systematically, same way with the press, they have systematically undermined our country. The left and ISIS has systematically, because they they are anti-God, they are atheists, you know, against God. And, and, and all people that believe in God, all people that worship God, all people that follow God, they're against all that stuff. And so here we go. We turn back and we say, well, it's their right. You know, well, they're a comedian. You know, you tell me, uh, Austin, you're a lot younger than me. Tell me why every flipping comedian that we see nowadays, they always retreat, you know, they're cry bullies, like you said. They always retreat behind, well, I'm just a comedian. This is comedy. This is First Amendment. This is comedy. Yet they say the most vile, horrible things about conservatives. Listen, they spread, and I mean, this is a lot of the left, a lot of famous people on the left spread terrible things about Barron Trump. Terrible things. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, you, what you see with a lot of these guys is there's sort of this clown nose on, clown nose off uh, kind of deal. And you saw that a lot with, you know, the Daily Show with Jon Stewart was pretty famous for doing this. Um, you know, just sort of shifting, you know, seamlessly from, you know, parody and comedy to making a a social critique and a you know and a jab at somebody, and then when you try to come back, oh hey, I'm just the court jester, um, you know. So I think it's a convenient thing uh, for them to do, um, but I you know I would say that I think that there are some comedians um, who are out there, um, you know I think I think Joe Rogan is one of these people, um, you know, who are seeing like slowly but surely awakening um, to just how liberal uh, the left is. And I noticed that you you know referred to, to the, you know the people we're talking about as, as the left. Um, as opposed to to liberals or Democrats, because I think there's a I think there's a very big difference there, um, and I think that the left has has slowly but surely since the 1960s just hijacked the Democrat Party. I think they found um, a willing host and like a, a virus have just sort of spread this neo-Marxist um, and cultural Marxist idea uh, throughout it to the point where you had a guy who was a, an avowed socialist, uh, in Bernie Sanders from unfortunately my home state. Um, you know, running and, and coming within a, a whisper of, of being the Democrat nominee and, uh, and Hillary not being much better on that front. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of these deals where it, I think they do it because they think they'll get some laughs out of it. I think they do it because they know that no one's really going to challenge them on it. 
uh, in the media. No one's going to call them to task as they as they would for um, you know some conservative comedian. You know, God forbid, making making a joke about Elizabeth Warren uh, and and her preposterous uh, claims of ethnicity. Um, you know, so I, I think they know they can get away with it, and I think that uh, that there are slowly but surely uh, comedians, and some of the more old school ones like Dave Chappelle and on Seinfeld and, and some of these guys going, you know, we can't even play on, on college campuses anymore. These guys, these snowflakes, these cry bullies, they just, they just get so offended at anything. Um, that I think it's, it's them. And I think there's, I think there's a number of people, a number of Democrats and, and traditional liberals who value, uh, value free speech and, and who value, um, you know, just a, a discourse, a back and forth conversation uh, who may be, may be a bit more liberal, who are just sort of waking up to sort of the, the authoritarianism that you're seeing and some of the just the vile stuff you're seeing from Antifa uh, and some of these, these other groups that are literally punching people in the streets. Um, you know, I mean, essentially to me, what, what Kathy Griffith did with that, with that photo, which you're right, um, really does liken back to some of the imagery we've seen out of ISIS and these other terror groups. I mean, especially with Manchester just happening, um, is not only tone deaf, but is, is really an, essentially an assault on the Trump family. Um, yeah. and it's just, it's completely in, in my mind, I'm, I'm glad to see that, that there are folks on, you know, in the Democrat party who are coming out strongly against it, but a little too little too late because they've really set the tone that allowed her to think, you know what, I could probably get away with this, you know, and, you know, it's come yeah. back to, to bite her obviously, but you know, I'm sure, you know, she, I guess they joked about, oh, I'll have to flee the country, but I, I don't think that there was a really much of a, a doubt in her mind that, yeah, this will be controversial, but I don't think she she ever expected the backlash that she's seen. Um, but I think that the tone in the country that's, that really has been, you know, perpetuated since the, since the election has kind of set the stage for something like that. Well, you know, I like, and you brought up uh, some comedians that are, are less, um, less liberal and, uh, and really wield a lot of power. Adam Sandler is one of those people. Um, and one of his best friends, daggone it, his name just jumped out of my head. I just watched him, uh, ironically, on Netflix the other night. He was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. What is the guy's name? Little guy. Little guy. He's been in a bunch of movies with Adam Sandler. They've been friends a long time. He was also on. Kevin on James. Uh, well, Kevin James, they're, they're close friends. And Kevin is a very devout Catholic and uh, conservative. And uh, what's the other guy's name? He's, he's got a huge Twitter following. Um, either way, uh, I, I like what, um, I like what Adam Sandler said. Adam Sandler said, look, you know, if you're going to hide behind being uh, a comedian for the stupid stuff you say, and you want all the, you know, free press or, or the, uh, you know, you want to be able to say anything, making the copies, um, that guy, mm -hmm. man, what is his name? <laughs> He's really little. He's really li a little small, uh, guy, Rob but, Schneider. but. Yeah, Rob, Rob Snyder, Snyder, yes, the yes. Guy. Yeah, from the yeah. coffee. Like back in the day, you're um, Oh, <laughs> hey, look, I'm old. I'm old, you know. And uh, so, so, so what I what I like is Adam Sandler came out and he said, "Look," uh, and I think somebody probably called him and said, "What do you think of this?" And he and it, it was funny because he said, "Look, as a comedian, you're going to stand up there and you're going to, you know, if you want to be a real politically charged." comedian or you want to do racial humor or sexual humor or I don't know anti-religious humor or religious humor whatever conservative humor um you know I have, I have a great friend his name is uh Brad Stein Brad is uh, called God's comic he's he's really one of the funniest and smartest people I've ever met and and Brad um 
he he eviscerates hecklers. I've been there when he did it. And I'm telling you, there's nobody that does a better job on him. And he does it right then and right there. Uh, and they're just sitting there bleeding, you know, gushing blood out of their carotid, you know, their jugular, their jugular is just cut to shreds and, and he just goes on and, and, you know, beats them up and then moves on, uh, does it real fast and, and moves on. Well, Adam Sandler said, look, you, you want to be that kind of comedian? You know, you, you want to hide behind, you want to hang a, a bloody likeness, just like ISIS, you know, will, 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 uh, cut the head off of somebody and then. And then hold their head up and blood dripping. You know, you want to be that person. You want to think that's funny. Well, guess what? You have every right to say that and do that. Sure, absolutely. Sure, for yes, you're fine. But guess what? I have a right to be aggrieved, to find it egregious and offensive, and to punch you in the mouth. I have a right to say, well, all right, people that support you. Guess what? Companies that, you know, pay you. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to stop paying you. We're going to stop doing that. But but as far as the punch in the mouth, people will say, as soon as you jump up on stage, the guy starts making fun, you know, picking at you or whatever, or a Kathy Griffin picks at Christians, that she says the vile, the most vile things, the most vile things. This this is look, this is this is nothing really compared to what she actually does most often. And I have to tell you, um I'm not quite sure. I, I'm really not quite sure what exactly um, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure what her objective was. She's done some stupid things in the past and so I don't know I, I don't know you know and I don't care to know. It's just like when I do uh, when I um, I do uh, a uh, seminar mostly for women called looking forward to being attacked or anticipating attack and I say the biggest thing you can do is stop trying to figure out why you're being attacked because by the time, you get about a third of the way into figuring out why you're being attacked. Guess what? You're dead. You're raped. You're, you know, whatever, whatever the game plan is on this person. So, you know, with the Adam Sandler and the Kevin James and the, and, and, you know, all of these people that will stand up and say, Hey, you know, yeah, I, I've been up on stage lots of times and I said something real stupid. And, um, uh, Adam Sandler tells a story of a guy that, um, when, when he was younger and immature, uh, he made fun of a woman for how she was dressed. What he didn't realize is the, the woman's um, husband or boyfriend, I don't remember the story fully, but uh, the, her, her significant other uh, meets him outside. He waits and he meets him outside and he says, you owe my wife an apology or my whatever, an apology. You were offensive and uh, there was no point in it. You, you had no, there, there was nothing to be gained in this. And you owe an apology. And he said, look, I'm I'm a comedian, man. I'm just doing comedy. I'm trying to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, this is comedy. You guys know who I am. You paid to come to the show. I'm not going to apologize. This is what I do. He says, okay, this is what I do to people who offend my wife. Wham, punched him right in the mouth. He said it's the hardest he's ever been punched in his life. And he realized, wait a second, words, words are one thing. But you say something that gets somebody to punch you in the mouth, guess what? That's real life. That's real living right there. That's being alive and experiencing stuff. And he said, I learned a very valuable lesson right then and there. Not that I, not that I can't, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw off of my my deal, you know, what I do for a living, anything that might possibly offend somebody, but that I'm going to be accountable for the words that come out of my mouth. 
and the actions that I do. And, and quite frankly, I like that. I like that. I like that he grew through it. We all have to grow through stupid stuff that we've done. Um, you know, I think that in her case with the Kathy Griffin situation, I don't think she's repentant. And I don't think any of these people, and this is the point I'm getting to, I don't think any of these people are repentant of what they do unless they get the equivalent of a punch in the mouth. And I think until she's made poverty stricken, you're not going to change her mind. So she's going to go to all her leftist friends. She was always a, a BC or D list uh, celebrity anyway. She even does a bit on it. She, she, you know, I watched one of her bits today to try to get to know her better. Um, and, and she's going to go running to them and they're going to, they're going to close the shades. Uh, they're going to change the gate code. They're going to change their phone number. They're going to put her on block on the Facebook and the Twitter. You know, they're going to, they're sorry they got caught and they're sorry they're now being held accountable. Exactly right, Dave. And, and so when that happens, that's when, well, I don't know that you can necessarily change their heart and mind. I don't, I don't think that's the case, but that's where we need to be. That's where we need yeah, to be. And I'm glad you, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you caveated that with, with you know, figuratively uh, punching them in the mouth. Maybe it's just the, the Kantian ethics uh, that was, in, you know, embedded in me by my Jesuit professors. But, um, you know, I never condone violence for, for something that, you know, somebody else said. Uh, but that being said, I think that people need to be held account, um, you know, because that's just not what we do as conservatives. We don't walk down the street, you know, punching Nazis in the face. We just, that's not our, that's not our shtick. Well, well, let me, um, you know, let me, but, let me add a quick caveat to that. Cause I don't, I don't want, uh, granted, I don't ever, anything I say on the show, I don't ever want to be foisted upon the, um, uh, uh, upon my guests, but I will, I will stipulate for me personally, if you tell me you're going to hurt my family, you know, my love wife, you're going to hurt her, you're going to rape her, you're going to whatever, you're going to harm my family in any way. I'm preemptive. That's me. And I'm not right, advocating that. Right. Well, and that's that what she did, though. Along the line of a terroristic threat. Yeah. But you're holding a yeah. blood dripping likeness of the president of the United States of America, who has not only adult children, uh, but has an 11 year old boy, a sweet little boy who, well, not little, he's he's almost six feet tall, but he, a sweet boy with a tender heart and a nice wife, classy, elegant people. And you're holding that up. Um, you know, that's you look. And it's not about retribution at this point. Uh, people used to say about uh, uh, 43, Bush 43, that the only reason why we went into Iraq, and we can argue that till the day is long, the only reason we went into Iraq is because uh, Saddam tried to have uh, Bush 41 killed. And people made that a logical, they, they, they really felt they were logical in making that argument. And I, I used to stand up and say, well, you're damn right we did. That could be one of the good reasons. We should have hunted that guy down and put a put a lead projectile at 3,212 feet per second deeply embedded into his cr cranium. Ventilate that cranium. You, you try to have, and they were close. They were in Maryland, right at the border of Virginia, very, very close. Uh, and, and they made the attempt, and thank God we stopped them. But you know what? I have no problem. You try to kill our president, newsflash. I believe, I've always believed this. I don't believe in counterpunch as much as I believe, oh, okay, I see your hand moving and I'm going to I'm gonna hit you hard with it and it's going to hit your throat. You're not going to be able to breathe. And then I'm going to hit you a lot more while you're trying to find out what happened to your lungs. You're looking around on the ground for your lungs. You're going to pay. 
and I'm not saying that everybody has to be that way. And I, and I want to stipulate that, but that's my personal deal. And I, and I have found, uh, for instance, and, and this takes us into rules of engagement, rules of engagement. You know, most of the public has no idea what our war fighters have to do before they can return fire before they can engage the enemy. And, and, and the rules of engagement are why that's the thing. That's the thing we have to, we have to obey somehow or another this rule, these rules that are not made by the people who are, who are fighting the battle. So what of your, you know, and I know you've been out for a little while, but what, what as you, uh, as you look at that term rules of engagement as applied to the places in which we are uh, in combat now, what are, what is your opinion of the rules of engagement and, and would you have any changes for that? So one of the things I thought was interesting watching uh, Secretary Mattis on the Face the Nation this weekend, and I, I rewatched the clip today just to, to glean some some of the better pieces. You know, anytime Secretary Mattis goes on on camera, you know, uh, you're in for some great sound bites. Um, and uh, one of the things that he started off with was the uh, the general. He said that we've shifted strategy, and when he was pressed on it, you know, he said very clearly, he said we've shifted from a strategy of of attrition tactics to a strategy of annihilation tactics. Um, and I think that 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 right there is uh, is a big change in the mindset of uh, our warfighters in that area and what they're being tasked with doing. Um, and when you know pressed further on what that means, you know, he said that you know essentially we're not you know we're not going to let you know hit them and then they retreat and perhaps you know go back to europe as we've seen you know it's kind of the old the water balloon analogy you squeeze one end of the water balloon they, they go to the other end um you know the idea is to surround them and to to, to annihilate uh the foreign fighters who uh, want to resist um yeah. you know it's a it's a shift in doctrine you know it's kind of like you know mike pompeo coming out as the director of the cia saying you know hey we're back in the business of stealing secrets you know, it's just like this is sort of, and this comes from the top. This is, you know, you you don't have this sort of wishy-washy. Well, you know, like, you know, uh, Director Brennan said, you know, when he's asked about, um, you know, do you guys steal secrets? He says, no, we don't steal. We we uncover, we discover, we reveal, we obtain, we elicit, we solicit. All of, you know, all of that. You know, and and so Mike Pompeo said, no, we're we're back in the business of stealing secrets. You know, we're back mm -hmm. in the business of doing what we do best. And you know, and and that, like I said, that comes from the top. That comes from you know, from from leadership of President Trump being like, hey, look, we are going to delegate to the proper level uh, what the, you know, what the strategy that we come up with here in the Pentagon and, and here uh, with the National Security Council, we're going to come up with that strategy and then we're going to delegate out. Um, and, you know, and, and General Mattis, Secretary Mattis was very was very clear about that. Um, and, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's very heartening to see. And so what what is that kind of that ROE transition change to? Um, you know, he was also very clear that, you know, the ROE, as far as people usually think about it, uh, in terms of protecting civilians, um, you know, the ability to fire back if engaged, uh, the right to self-defense, none of, none of that's really changed. And, and what's changed, um, and I can speak to this kind of firsthand, being, having been a fire support officer, being in charge of, of, of uh, coordinating all the, the lethal fires, uh, both artillery, mortar, and, and close air support uh, for a light infantry unit, What's really changed uh, so far, Lieutenant General Townsend changed, who's, who's the commander, in, the regional commander in that area, uh, is the delegation levels, uh, according to the Military Times, um, the delegation levels have gone down to the advisors on the ground, right? So they're not having to, uh, first of all, they, they pushed advisors out with these Iraqi units in, in Mosul, 
um, that are the, the attack on Mosul. A lot of Mosul is going to be taken, just the western portion of it is still in ISIS hands. Um, but they have now delegated that authority down to the ground level that, you know, you have, um, you know, these, these advisors, you know, these, these uh, like of special operations uh, operatives who are working there, uh, being able to, to help and assist their, their Iraqi compatriots call for fire and really utilize uh, all the weapons platforms that we can bring to bear, which are very sizable. So um, I think when we talk about the, the shift in ROE, the shift in mindset, um, you know, there is still a emphasis, and, and Mattis is very clear about this, an emphasis on protecting civilians and continuing to do what we do uh, as a military, and we've always done, which is, is try to, in any case, um, you know, maintain um, as not only as, as much civilian uh, lives as possible, as much civilian infrastructure, not wantonly destroying things. Um, and so that really hasn't changed. But what has, has changed from what I can tell from open source stuff level, um, that they are now entrusting the, the operatives on the ground who are embedded to be able to, to help the Iraqi forces. And as a, as a result, you've seen, um, you know, the entrance into Mosul, which initially was thought to be another Fallujah, uh, with relatively little casualties. And, uh, and so far, the U.S. hasn't really had to commit uh, too many ground troops uh, as a supporting effort like we did in the last decade. Um, so I'm, so I think that that's, um, that's been interesting to see hmm. and heartening as well. What do you yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Uh, what are some changes? Um, and, and I, uh, you know, obviously I have a, a fair amount of background in this. Um, what are some changes that you'd like to see that haven't been mentioned that you would like to see uh, come to the fore? What the, you know, if, if if you were if you were in charge of mission objectives, rules of engagement, um, and, and um, that whole that whole. Uh, aspect of what the warfighters do what would you what would you change as far as mission objectives and rules of engagement you 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 have that you you know you get put in there and you're a general and but you don't have to put it through a bunch of them uh, approve or disprove stuff it just goes in and it happens what would they be well i, I mean essentially I, I think that Mattis is spot on as the, the warrior monk that he is, um, you know, and I think that's why Matt, Secretary Mattis has such a, a huge respect and, and almost cult-like following amongst people in the military because, you know, they realize that he is giving, you know, the president the kind of advice, you know, that a lot of his ground commanders would, would give um, in the sense that we want to delegate to the lowest appropriate level of authority uh, the right. ability to to make these decisions, you know, and, and so I, I'll give you an example. When I was in Afghanistan, uh, we had a lot of times, uh, just to give you a little background on the rules of engagement, we keep the, the, the very specific rules of engagement closer to the dust. A lot of that's classified because you don't want to have right. the enemy know, well, you know, if I do X, Y, Z, uh, they can't shoot at me, right? So we tend right. to, the, the press uh, and, and people tend to see sort of the, the very, you know, broad uh, rules of engagement, right? Right to self-defense, minimize civilian casualties, so on and so forth. They get printed on ROE cards that every soldier carries with them um, as a, a kind of a guiding left and right limit, right? That sure. being said, there, there are, you know, very specific nuances to that that can make a big difference. Um, and one of those, obviously, is the delegation level for, for approval of fire missions and things like that. Um, I think that the General Mattis, who is part of the, you know, obviously the initial ground invasion uh, of, of Iraq and, and fought in that theater, was a CENTCOM commander. Um, even though he doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a soft background per se, you know, his quote of him, he was asked, you know, what keeps you up at night? He said, I, I keep other, nothing, I keep other people up at night. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was just an instant, you know, Secretary Mattis classic line, right? But, you know, 
that means that he's he's what he's referring to is the you know the men with beards and green eyes uh that are going out yeah. there and getting after it at night um you know and our special operations uh guys who are, are conducting those raids and uh and taking out those high value targets um and uh you know i honestly looking at at what they're doing um just sort of at a, a tactical level and and the way they're delegating that that seems spot on the other thing that that uh, secretary mattis has been talked talked about in his uh his uh, interview was he's talking about the direct collaboration uh, with Secretary of State uh, Rex Tillerson and the fact that they have a, you know, a at least weekly have a breakfast together and they're talking six or seven times uh, a week and they're, and they're collaborating on that. Um, you know, it's very important that, you know, because it is an international threat and the State Department takes the lead in foreign affairs in, in all countries where war hasn't been declared. Uh, which are which are all of them. There, there are no ongoing actual wars uh, since OEF, uh, you know, concluded is uh, the State Department still has proponency uh, in those areas. It's important that they have those kind of meetings and that they're, and, and he was talking about this as well, is that there are these meetings where they collaborate with other folks in the interagency uh, to talk about, hey, what happens when, when Raqqa uh, actually collapses, right? When there is no longer a physical caliphate and this recedes into being a digital caliphate, when it recedes into being um, something that is splintered, you know, because sometimes right. the the splintering of these groups can be more dangerous than the groups being in a central location that you can track and, and target. Um, so, you know, he brought that up in the, the interview as well. And, it, you know, it's like, hey, these guys are, are really on top of it. You know, there has to be a, a overall effort. Um, and, um, you know, people talk about uh, the way I've, I've always looked at sort of the terrorist groups is kind of like a tripod, right? So you have basically three branches of it. You've got, you know, the terrorists, the people themselves, your foot soldiers, your suicide bombers, the people themselves. You have the the ideologues, you know, the the, the radicals that are out there who are, you know, your digital caliphate who are, you know, putting out propaganda online, who are, um, you know, making uh, making it possible to recruit. You know, your recruiters fall under that sort of that realm. Uh, people who are going and actively looking for uh, these people to bring over and, and make into the the foot soldiers of, of the jihad, and then you have your your money men, you know the people who are on, who are facilitating the you know the threat finance. We call it threat finance um, in the government is that they're actually financing the threat, and they're they're the ones who are you know laundering the money through through different you know, hawala networks and through different uh, means, right? And so without any one of those legs of the tripod, it collapses. So mm -hmm. each one of the uh, each one of the the um, the various agencies of the government play different roles in going after very specific portions of that tripod and, and going uh, after the terrorists as a holistic network. But it has to be seen as that. It has to be seen as going after as a holistic network, not just, okay, well, the military will take care of it because they're terrorists and, you know, and they blow stuff up, right? You know, it has to be, mm -hmm. okay, well, how are we going after their, you know, their online propaganda? How are we going after them, you know, in cyberspace? How are we going after their money streams you know, from a law enforcement perspective, from a treasury's perspective? Uh, with the money laundering that they do it's a it's a very it has to be a whole of government effort and it seems um at least from from the things i've read and from the interview with secretary mattis that that is already ongoing and they're already thinking down the road strategically of what happens you know when there isn't a, a physical caliphate known as, as isis within um you know iraq and al-sham and that now splinters back out and, and perhaps these people go back to europe where for whatever reason these countries seem to be willing to take them back in and, and let them just go on as if nothing had happened I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. That's a that's a great 
explanation of it, very, very detailed. Um, one of the things uh, that I see, in a, in a, yeah, I've, I've kept you over, and I apologize for that. I just no, time, no you know, you have fun. Um, time flies. You see a lot of stuff out there, uh, and 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 let me just say, me having a problem with this is counter to what most people expect from a guy who's a preacher, a religious, you know, theology guy. Um, we see a lot of, all right, let me, let me give you an example. Fort Hood happens. Our thoughts and prayers are with Fort Hood. We put a little army thing up there. Benghazi happens. We empathize with that and we get mad about it, but we praying, you know, hashtag pray for Fort Hood, hashtag pray for Benghazi. Um, extortion 17 happens. 30 American soldiers, soldiers are killed, I believe sent to their death. And then lie after lie uh, after that same way with Benghazi. Uh, Boston bombing happens. You know, praying for Boston. Hashtag Boston strong. Uh, praying for Orlando. Hashtag. Uh, praying for San Bernardino. Praying for Manchester. Praying for Paris. Praying for, uh, you know, one after the other. I mean, it's just one after the other. There's more, more, more. And, and for the numbers, I mean, look, this is just part of the list. But just 885 Islamic attacks in 46 countries in which 6,169 people were killed and 6,529 people are injured. Fort Hood was a major who they knew... Uh, they they knew there was no doubt about it. I mean, he he'd had uh, examination after examination, and eval after eval, where they said, "Look, you know, you got to get your crap together. You're on sat." And they knew he he you know he dressed in the Muslim garb and and uh, and spoke in a very um, unsettling way for a guy that's supposed to be helping helping soldiers and war fighters transition. I have to I have to say, you know, we knew about that Benghazi. We knew the truth. We knew we were being lied to. Hillary Clinton looked right into the eyes of and uh, one of whom uh, one of the seals I knew knew well um, looked right into the eyes of the parents and said and and family and said it was over a video extortion seventeen but nothing but lies from day one Boston I hate to say you know they they applauded the police and the federal officials and all that stuff but they knew the reason why the feds were there so fast is cuz they knew who the Sarnea brothers were they were following them not apparently well enough and uh you know too late and then and then all the people god bless them of of Massachusetts they're not allowed their second amendment rights they said here's what you do go hide in your house and lock the door we got this. We're the people right. that are allowed to have guns. We got this. We'll find them. And so when literally several hundred police officers, after many people are killed, police officers killed at MIT, you know, uh, just assassinated. All these things happen. And they say, go hide in your house. We got this. Don't look out the window. Stay away from the glass. Go in the basement. Orlando. Guy comes in. Kills all those people. Pray for Orlando. Pray for Boston. Boston Strong. San Bernardino. They knew this woman had been. The federal officials knew this woman was was radicalized. Not not was on her way to be radicalized. Knew it. Manchester. You know this most recent one. They knew this guy. 
they knew the guy and 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 uh but yet the ideology is well you know we want to be a diverse place what's the first thing that the the uh the guy in charge of the uh the police and law enforcement in the uk steps up and the very he doesn't say look we're sorry for what happened to the victims we we you know we're praying for you we're we're working hard to try to protect you failing miserably but whatever uh first thing he says is hey we're not going to tolerate any anti-muslim rhetoric we're not going to any any retribution we're not going to do it that's not who we are you know that's not yeah, who we no, are it's, it's 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 shocking to see and and you know with each one of these uh you know various attacks that comes out I'm always surprised when when people almost put themselves in this sort of mindset as if it were a natural disaster, right? As if it were somehow unavoidable. Um, you know, this this sort of weird like cognitive dissonance of of just you know feeling as if they're just sort of powerless and and the only thing they can do is change their their Twitter avatar and just pray for the victims and so on and so forth. It's like where is where is the outrage um, when something like this happens? Where are the people asking asking the hard questions? Um, you know, of their law enforcement, of the people in those communities uh, that, you know, that these guys come out of. Because, you know, for instance, in, in Manchester, you had this individual who was, um, you know, radicalized right down the street. He was living in these living in this area. You know, where are the people asking the hard questions about that? Um, and, you know, the, the sort of the, the uh, thing that, that Andy Stumpf uh, mentioned on your program, uh, this really, uh, you know, I think he was spot on with this, is trying to, you know, to understand well, how, how is it that someone could have that much hate in their heart that they would, you know, that they would perpetrate something like this against people they barely even knew? How could they have that much hate in their heart? And, you know, for individuals who aren't, you know, complete, you know, sociopaths, psychopathic people, um, it's, it's almost impossible to kind of understand that depth. You know, but what Andy said is, that, you know, consider how much you love your family and what you would do to yeah. protect them, what you, the, the ends you would go to, you know, now just turn that around. You know, and then, then you understand that there's a flip side to that. There's a converse to that, that people hate as much as they, you know, as much as you love, people have that much kind of hatred in their heart, um, you know, and it, it's, it's imbued in them in, in this, you know, this ideology that they have, um, you know, and it's, it's a matter of, you know, being able in the West to, to assess that and have a frank conversation about what the, the roots of it are. Um, you know, and people to, to, you know, be on the side of, of people like Ayan Hirsi Ali and other reformers uh, who are out there making, you know, putting their lives on the line uh, to try to, to try to reform that uh, community and, and try to, to bring, um, you know, awareness to people of that, hey, there are these problems that we all have, you know, that good people of all faiths have to come together. And, you know, we have to renounce this. There can't be any sort of you know, tacit, you know, approval, or we're just going to keep quiet. And so we're not guilty as a result of this. Um, you know, it, it, it has to be, um, you know, people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, enough is enough. And this isn't, this isn't a tragedy, or this isn't a natural disaster, you know, obviously, it's a tragedy. Um, but, you know, it was interesting, when I was in Afghanistan, we, uh, the, the Taliban, what they would do uh, like we talked about about a little bit earlier, that the insurgents' goal is to to usurp the government and become the government themselves. And part of the way they do that is they erode people's faith and and trust in the government, and uh, that that basically the government, whoever that may be, it can provide for their basic needs, right? So, um, one of the things that Taliban would do is, uh, on top of you know, all sorts of other heinous things, is they would just indiscriminately launch. Uh, these uh, these rockets into Kunduz uh, city proper, which is if anybody knows uh, much about the area, is uh, is one of the largest agricultural centers in northern Afghanistan. 
Um, and so they would launch these, you know, these rockets just into the city square. And these things would, you know, they would come out of uh, Gore Tepe, which is an area we, we later uh, liberated. Um, and, um, and, you know, they would launch these things. And people wouldn't be necessarily mad at the Taliban. They would protest to the government. You know, they would, they would you know, be angry at the, the provisional, the regional, uh, regional uh, mayor and the, the, uh, the provincial government about these attacks that were happening to them. And it's like, well, hey, your problem is right up the street. You know, your problem is, is these guys that you allow to sort of freely roam about, you know, no one says anything, no one does anything, it just, you know, for out of fear or, or out of tacit support or whatever. But they're the ones who are doing it. The government of, of Afghanistan, the DROA, they're not launching, you know, indiscriminate rounds into, you know, this Muslim-on-Muslim Muslim attack coming in from uh, from the hinterlands of Gortepa into the middle of Kunduz. You know, so I never really quite understood that but i you know sort of later came to realize that that was just that there was an outlet there right so none of these people can go and and um you know and, and protest you know straight to the taliban because you know they'd be shot right but they can what they you know they can do is oh you know let's let's protest the government of, of afghanistan or in this case let's you know change our, our twitter uh, avatar and let's you know pray for the victims and so on and so forth but you know the the hard conversation and, you know, and really the hard work of going after, you know, an international crime syndicate, which is a lot of these terrorist organizations are, which I, you know, I described earlier in the show, um, kind of the dedication and the coordination that, that takes on the part of a government, who, oh, by the way, have to have the political capital uh, to invest, you know, to really carry that out. They have to have the support of their people. You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. something that's hard to do, and that's, that's lacking. And, um, you know, and, and instead of turning our, ourselves, our, our anger at these kind of atrocities inward, and thinking, you know, oh, what was us? What could we have done to prevent this? Sort of this victim-blaming mentality. It's like, okay, well, what are, you know, what are we going to do collectively to just say enough is enough? You know, and that's, that's really where the, the focus needs to be. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's very, extremely well put and very articulate. So, so for me as a person who looks at, you know, 885 Islamic attacks in 46 countries in which 6,169 people were killed, 6,529 more were injured, I look at that and I have to say to myself, self, because that's what I call me when I'm talking to me. Um, that's what I answer to. And I say to myself, self, we've got all these things. We've got all these, you know, the the, uh, the flag, uh, you know, like you say, the avatar, the, the, the uh, profile pic. We change that. Yes. And do that for a certain period of time. And gosh, aren't we, you know, we're activists. But in reality, the thing that stops these people uh, is, number one, excellent intelligence that is uh, acted upon and firmly and aggressively acted upon. And by that, I mean killing them before they kill us, killing them before they kill little eight-year-old girls at a concert. Now, this Ariana Grande, Absolutely. she's a billionaire. She, she inherited billions of dollars. You know, she, she, you know she, she's going on record as loving Muslims and hating America. She's going on record as saying that's you know, I mean, it's just it, she's been out there doing that. And and that's been her shtick. And and uh, again, I don't understand a parent that would listen to some of the, her lyrics of her songs. You think to yourself, man, you're taking your kid there. This is this is a, a, a an entertainer that is somehow or another appropriate for children. I don't think so. But all that said to say this, uh, she now says, I'm not going to let them divide us. I'm not going to let them divide us. I'm going to go back to Manchester and put on a concert. Well, you know, yeah. he's no safer now doing a concert and nobody that goes to the concert is any safer now. They've done nothing to undermine the overall influence of Islam, radical Islam in the UK. 
in Europe in general. They've done nothing. They've absolutely been feckless in their in their efforts. What they have been is very politically correct. Now you can say, well, you know, they they raided seven places and they arrested the brother and the father and the blah blah blah. And you know, now we're really we're kicking now and we've learned a lot. There's a whole lot of learning that happens after someone dies from a from a guy who goes in, doesn't get patted down, doesn't, you know, there's there's it, it's ridiculous how many cameras they have there and how many police they have in the UK. And yet they right from the train station, people can walk in this venue. They've learned nothing. Well, we don't like to be, we don't like, you know, people to feel like they're restricted. Well, the good that applies to the to the um to the terrorist. That great, good for you. That's great. You're holding line there. Um, you know, how about we keep the terrorist out? You can't even keep the terrorist out of a a uh, venue. What makes what makes us think that they're going to in any way keep the terrorists out of their country? They've said, "Hey, we want open borders." What's her name? Uh, I mentioned her before. Katy Perry says, "You know, I'm all about open borders. I'm all about you know openness and diversity." And I mean, except around her mansion, right? I mean, <laughs> seven foot walls on every mansion she has. She has six yeah, homes. Yeah, and and every single one has these giant walls and these giant gates. And and there's a time where we rail against that and say, "Gosh, you know." <laughs> That's not right. Gee, we should, you know, well, that's not right. Something doesn't fit. That's not fair. You know, and, and we got to stop saying stupid stuff like pray for, pray for Manchester. It, it does nothing. It does nothing. Uh, these, these well, pictures. And, and, and well, let me, let me just say this really quick. Cause I think this yeah, would impact ahead. your yeah, point. These pictures yeah. and videos of all these bears, these little stuffed bears and the flowers and all that stuff as a uh, memorial, and then they have a vigil. My goodness, Austin, if I see another vigil, you know what that is? That's a target-rich environment for the bad guys. And when you have people standing around with a candle lit, crying over the people that were, were murdered, their relatives, their friends, their neighbors, their school chums, and you're standing around crying and pray for them and our thoughts and our prayers, uh, blah, 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 it, that emboldens the enemy. Islam looks at that and says, dummies, they're just dumb. And, and I'm not calling these people dumb. I'm saying that that's what Islam looks at us as. And they say, hey, you know, oh, they fell into it. And they say, we, we won't let terror win. Love, not hate. Shut up with love, not hate. I don't hate the guy because I'm putting a projectile through his brain. I, I, I will love the fact that God gave designers of firearms and optics and all of these things and the hands of of war trained to to get rid of bad people i love that it's an act of love for who for my family for my love life for my children for my community for my way of life for my constitution for my freedom of religion it's love of that that drives me to say i'm not going to stand for that Listen, stop with all this gathering, wringing your hands and crying. Can you believe they attacked, you know, before when they beheaded contractors and, and innocent people and stoned women for letting their ankle show? Well, that is bad. No, that is definitely bad. But boy, when you kill children, that's the last straw. No, it's not. Because while they're standing around wringing their hands, going, oh, you know, how could they do this? They're planning. They're planning. They're, look, look how good this went. 
How about instead of praying for them and, and in, instead of your thoughts and person, how about arm, you know, arm the society of good people? How about we go to those air quotes of moderate Muslims who are not for it? I said it last week. It's a simple math problem. It's a math problem. You've got a billion at least Muslims, and you're telling me that that 1%, 1 to 3% is, you know, you're great at math. 1 to 3% of the people are... Uh, of, of the of the Muslims are radicalized. The rest peace loving. We don't want to, we don't want to, okay. Let's take that math. That is an army. Oh, your fire alarm going off. What are you trying to cook? Yeah. I think my wife is downstairs. Uh no worries. I'm sure she's dying right now. Going, oh my gosh, he's on the show. Hang on. So so no, no worries. No, she, yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, so uh, give her a high five when I she I knew she was gonna yeah, try to be on yeah, the show. I knew she was. Uh, so, so, you know, it's the simple math problem. If, if that is in fact true, if we're dealing with truth here, then, then we have to implore, we have to implore these people, look, you had better gang up on this little tiny, uh, this minority and, and we shouldn't have another problem. There should be no problem. Well, we're moderates. We don't, well, guess what? If you don't want to die with them, in collateral damage, newsflash, you better get serious about turning into a jihad against the jihad because we are not going to stand for this anymore. You know, we're, we have we have lots of armament that we haven't tried out yet. And gosh darn it, we want to try it out. And if you don't start handling your business, we will. Uh, for me, you know, it comes down to that. Let me, uh, one, one of the real quick, I'm going to have to end a little bit early, but one of the things that... Uh, that I wanted to talk about with you really quickly is the transition uh, because you've transitioned from a, 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 a very honorable military service to, to being a civilian businessman. And I know folks, if, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, Austin uh, and his family, they are the people behind the logs. And so, you know, if you're a, a person that, that does any work with wood, uh, and you go out into the woods or whatever, you cut wood, you have to move wood. The three-in-one tool from Logox, I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. If I'd had that when I was a kid, gosh, I'd be in better help, better help today. And if you go to thelogox.com, you'll be able to type in The Ninja Pastor. It'll give you $25 off on an already ridiculously low price of a completely veteran-owned and operated company and all-American. So transitioning from military to civilian, how has that been for you? It's been interesting, um, you know, going from a kind of a, a more um, you know, regimented existence where there's a very clear uh, pathway to success and what that looks like and what you need to, to hit as far as your career milestones uh, for being promoted um, to be sort of the, the uh, free-flowing life of an entrepreneur where every day is a, is a new day and a new thing that you have to, to deal with and, and learn about on the fly. Um, it's It's been an interesting transition. I will say, though, that um, I think that my, you know, my military background has helped prepare me for that, especially the, the time I spent in special operations, you know, working in small teams and, and, and alone, um, you know, kind of autonomously in, in some of these positions that I was in with that um, to kind of to think like an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, so I, I think that having that background has helped. Um, one of the things when I was, you know, downrange in Afghanistan that I was tasked with doing was, was being the um, – the, the SERP, which is the Commander's Emergency Relief Program, directed for my, my company. We did over $1.4 million uh, in reconstruction projects for what they're worth um, in Afghanistan. 
and that's a, a whole other story. But um, you know, I always sort of looked at my role with that um, as kind of entrepreneurial in the sense of, okay, well, how are we going to you know bring in a lot of different folks uh, from you know from the private sector and a totally different culture of a totally different uh, set of work standards, and everything else? How are we going to get them all working together in the same page? Um, and, and negotiate and, and uh, you know sort of navigate through that whole um, system and, and you know and come up with a good end product um, and that experience and, and some of the other experiences I've had where it, you kind of have to think to yourself okay well how do I take what limited resources that I have and try to do the most good with them um, and, and kind of a, an ambiguous environment of you know what is the right move what is the right the, the right next thing to do. Um, I think all that kind of prepares you for an entrepreneur, and I think that a lot of the young leaders that you're seeing in the military uh, right now, you know, you've got young, you know, 22, 23-year-olds who are, are platoon commanders, uh, platoon leaders, um, you know, and, and young guys who are company commanders commanding, you know, 100-plus folks, um, you know, who get thrown into, especially in a, a counterinsurgency environment, get thrown in these things where you are, you know, you're everything to everybody in that town that you happen to have in, inside your, your area of operations. Um, so more and more, I think that, you know, people, um, you know, are in the military or having to, you know, sort of step outside of, I guess what people, you know, kind of, um, you know, think, think just sort of stereotypically about the military, like, oh, it's just very regimented, you know, left, right, left, right, um, to being very asymmetrical in, in the terms of how we fight wars nowadays. And, and I think that that has helped prepare, um, a lot of veterans for, you know, for entrepreneurial ventures and for, you know, consulting and for different um, you know, in, in corporate America, obviously being able to, to navigate through that. Um, I think that there's a, I think there's a tremendous amount of potential and, and opportunity for, for not only for folks who are veterans who are coming out and, and into the corporate world and into the entrepreneurial world and whatever other ventures they're in, um, but also for, for companies to hire those people um, because there's a, just a certain skill set that really, you know, you learn just, I don't think there's anywhere else you can really learn it. And, uh, and especially this um, these days. So it's, yeah. it's definitely been an interesting experience. Yeah. Well, I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, I predict that you're going to be on several times here. Uh, I know the guests uh, all around the world. Uh, last week, we were 1.4,211,393 people that uh, tuned in by today, either live or by download. So I know all those people that were smart enough to, uh, to tune in today really benefited from your wisdom. And uh, I sure do appreciate it. I know that. I've been looking forward to having you on. Look forward to having you on again um, very, very soon. There's lots of uh, lots of stuff to talk about. And uh, we didn't even get to the part of what I wanted to talk about. But you know what? We will. And uh, I really appreciate it. Say hello to your beautiful wife. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you, you, you do well. Do well um, for yourself. And, and thank you for your service. We as a nation uh, owe you a, a great debt of gratitude. And we we appreciate the service that you provided. And, and uh, I think personally that uh, we should treat veterans a whole lot better, not just because I am one, but really uh, real stuff, real, real things. Um, and so uh, real beneficial things, not just things that look good as window dressing for politics. But thank you very much for taking the time to be on. And I, and I, I genuinely appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I look forward to, to definitely coming back on the show and touching on some more topics. Um, you, your fans can uh, follow us on social media at uh, Big Blue Logox um, and at thelogox.com. It's our, our handles there on Instagram, Twitter, and, and uh, Facebook. And, um, and yeah, I really appreciate it, uh, Dr. Sean, and I look forward to the next time we get to talk together, brother.
My pleasure, brother. High five to you. See you, buddy. All right. So there you have it, folks. That's uh, that's what I'm talking about. That's uh, you know, when the president, uh, when the when the, when the former president of the United States, oh, that feels good every time I say it. When Barack Hussein Obama, uh, when 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 he speaks the way that um, that he does and did about our veterans, I have to say, I have to say. It's sickening and disgusting because I serve with a lot of great people, some with very advanced formal educations that chose to to uh, serve their country and others uh, with very little education who were extremely smart, great leaders, great warriors, great sailors, great Marines, uh, great airmen, uh, great coasties. And, and uh, you know, it's just a lie. It's it's a lie. Some of our greatest people are, are our military people. And I think we really miss out when we don't. Um, when we don't behave appropriately, when we don't treat our military the way we should, when we don't value them deeply the way we should. And so I, I feel very strongly about that. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm gonna lead the, lead the charge in, in helping folks. Look, we're gonna cut loose a little bit early today, but I wanna just tell you a couple things. Go to theninjapastor.com. If you are thinking about owning a gun, you're thinking about purchasing a, a firearm for your home or from or if you know concealed carry or or if you have a gun in the home uh and or if you have a, a weapon and you have your concealed carry permit i strongly advise you go there look at the bottom there's a second call defense banner there click on that they'll give you a month free there's no pressure nobody's going to flood your inbox you can watch a bunch of videos that are uh really really um they're they're very, very informative, very helpful. But um, yeah, I'd encourage you to do that. And then remember, you know, our, our great friend of the show, David Partridge, at uh, at Lieberman uh, Early. I'm telling you, great guy. 610-688-4300. And quite frankly, uh, he's based in Wayne, Pennsylvania. But if you're anywhere in Pennsylvania, this this is the guy that's going to help you. Whether you're a mom and pop little business that you just need some storefront or you need the biggest buildings in Philadelphia, this guy handles it. And when you deal with him, you're not dealing with somebody that talks over your head. He's a real guy with a real family. And, and uh, he's been a friend of mine for over 20 years. And, and I can tell you, nobody gets near this show um, as far as talking about what they do, or what they sell. That's why the Logox, that's why, you know, I know these people, I know these people well and I know the product well, and, and it's extraordinary. And so with that, and then also the Hilo LX that I'm wearing right now, I actually had a couple of blood pressure um, alerts while I'm on the phone. So that sends out uh, sends out a, an emergency message and I can actually send my EKG right to my doctor. And it's quite extraordinary. And I will be posting the, um, the link for that on the announcement for the show. And uh, it, it's worth having folks, it's worth having. It, it is uh, so much more than one of the little, uh, and nothing offense, you know, I, I don't, I don't want anybody to be offended that has another company uh, on their wrist, another, but they're, they're nowhere close, honest to goodness. They're nowhere close to what this thing is, in all fairness. Uh, it's just a different market uh, altogether. And, and if you're like, me, you, you may have some very serious life-threatening things that you're dealing with, and you know what? Um, I'm I'm just going to tell you, it's 
it's a relief for me to have truthfully and i know it's a relief for for my family uh that they're able to have that and as i close i just want to say uh my heart uh, goes out to the rickards family and all the friends and 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 just the great people that uh that love that guy what a great great guy and um very 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 touching uh to in my heart to, to be able to have friends like the friends i have and 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 chat is a great example of that it's chat is full of great amazing people and um i encourage you when you you know next time you listen maybe share this link with somebody too i think this has been a beneficial show uh some great wisdom from somebody that that's been there and uh and i think you know i think it'll benefit a lot of people and, and definitely give my buddy a call, Dave Partridge, 610-688-4300. Just remember Dave Partridge, like Partridge and the fam, Partridge, Partridge family, you know, remember that. He's heard it a million times, 610-688-4300. There are any of your uh, needs there in, in uh, the Pennsylvania area. Folks, I so appreciate, I really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate you sharing. Follow me on Twitter, at the Ninja Pastor. Follow me on Facebook. Um I, I really encourage you to do that. It makes a huge difference. And when you, when you, uh, you, uh, you subscribe to the show and subscribe to the ninjapastor.com, I, I just really, it, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. It really, really does. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you for, for all that you people do. I know there are many, many great patriots, hardworking folks that are out there getting it done. And I sincerely appreciate it. And uh, we won't forget it. And I won't forget your support. God bless you. See you on Sunday. Join us next time for the collision of faith and politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.